shining a beacon on the bazaar. How you doing under there, our kid? How are you feeling? I'm fucking battered. I'm starving, mate. Pass it under what we got. What we got? All oh, right, got we got um, we got pasta and meatballs today. So oh, uh, mate, uh, no uh, more uh, flat food. That's brilliant. Yeah. Stick of cheese yes. and toast and pizzas. Ooh, no. bit of round well, stuff. That's the thing with isolation, you see, when you got COVID, you know, you got to be in there. You get all your little treats, you get all the nice stuff, you know. But it's uh, it's got to be passed under the door. So here we go. I'll start passing under the door. Now. Ooh, here we go. Got there, we go. there we go. There we go. There we go. Oh, I'm pushing oh, under. Okay. Where are well, they're starting to go under a bit. I'll just, I'll just thumb them a bit harder. <laughs> oh, oh man, there's no meatballs on this plate. Uh, oh, he's like trying, you he's like trying to push a pile back in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he runs through. Oh, it's coming go. in fucking air and stuff. Oh, why are you not? Give you a little suck. Go on. Give you a little suck. <laughs> oh, dear. What we need is you, you, you to get better. That's what we need. We need you to I'm get better. I'm nearly there, kid. I, I got, I've got double dosed or something, mate. What do you mean you double dosed? <laughs> Have you got, got double, double dosed? Did I tell you how I got it? Now, how did he get it then? He wanted. He didn't get the um, the cotton crab convention again, did you? Well, it was the, the annual do, wasn't it? At the pier, everybody went to it except for you because you got banned ten years ago. <laughs> oh no, but got... it wasn't my fault. That. I mean, <laughs> I honestly. Don't know. It, it wasn't my finger that went in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody. We keep saying it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we all rocked up to it, and they, they did well this year, man. It we're at the Scarborough, is it the Grand Hotel in Scarborough. Massive oh yeah, yeah. No expense spared. You know what I mean? It were everything: crab sticks, fish sticks, everything. Wow, really? Oh man! Did, did, did the fish beer on again? Oh yeah, they did. But I left it alone. I was on seaweed, seaweed ale all night. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing like a dickhead. But halfway through the thing, I thought, I'll go for a smoke. You know, I'm vaping it more. So I went out for yeah. a vape, and I'm, I'm sat outside, and I'm having a vape, looking at the sky and stuff. And then two, I think there were Korean girls kind of came running up to me, giggling, you know what I mean? They said, oh, Benny, crack and cough, and all that. I'm like, whoa, I've got some fans yeah. here. Hello, ladies. Uh, and I'm like looking around in my pockets for a pen and that to give me a signature. And then it suddenly happened in a flash. One of them, <laughs> the gimme stink finger I <laughs> <laughs> Hands down, pants, and fucking babatash me. I'm like, oh, I'm no. Or <laughs> 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 in, in a daze. I'm like, what just happened? And they both ran off saying that they were part of like, some TV show or something. And anyway, oh, I God. staggered back into place. Little did I know it, but they give me super corona. You know what I mean? With babatash. Oh, no. That's like that happened with North Koreans, wasn't it? You know what exactly I mean? With, like with Kim Jong-il's brother. <laughs> and I tell you who did it. Putin. Putin's after me did an assassination attempt on me, my friend. My it, God, <laughs> that's what it is, isn't it? I must oh have super God. spread it round. They're half at pay is sick, mate. You know what I mean? There's no fishing going and crabs aren't getting hauled in. Nothing. The Kraken Cove Pier is down at the moment because of my but dose. That's, that's the only way to really give you the super dose is with a babatash in it. <laughs> <laughs> the babatash, I still think my lips stink still. I'm nearly thinking about shaving my tash off and that. It absolutely oh. reeks. <laughs> But oh like no! Some double dose of COVID, man. But well, everybody, I'll give them Pete, them Pete a hundred euro to do it back to fucking Putin. So as we speak, P 
Peter's <laughs> travelling across Europe and he's going to babotage fucking Putin. So this war is about seven days. It's going to be all over. That's my predictions now. You wait and see. Putin right. is down. Well, no that's, how's, 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 um, how's Robo Pete getting across Europe? He's not rowing across Europe, is he? <laughs> he's down rivers and everything, isn't he? You can't see that. He oh, travels yeah. by night, does the lad, mate. He travels by night. And what well, smells his ass. Jesus Christ, he'll be dead. He'll be dead he in will. seven he'll days. He'll just kill him. So hopefully, well, that'll, be, that'll be you bring priest to Europe with that, with a bit of a bit of robots. Exactly. But, I mean, it's my yeah. revenge. He can't even fight manly, man. He had to send, like, two assassins after me. And you, when you, you didn't, want your, didn't want your offer of a roll round on cobbles then. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He just done it sly as a fox, hasn't it? He give me oh. stink finger. I give you Pete stinky finger. That's what I'm going to give you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, what Pete's all the way up. Um, well, Pete's all the way over there, but what we, the issue we've got is we're at Kraken Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon at the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm a poorly Benny. <laughs> and the issue we've got at the moment, you see, is we are recording remotely in different parts of the uh, of the uh, of the Cove Lighthouse again because because Benny's poorly. We've got we've had to do that, so we're uh, we're doing our best though. We're trying to bring you some fresh Cove. Exactly, um, we need to Cove. The Cove must flow, our kid. The Cove, the must, cove flow. must flow. Exactly right. Is that I, I totally agree with you. You know what I mean? And I think as well, you see, it's like these the, in these strange times. I think what we need is it. We need a little bit of a hero or something like that. So I'm going to delve deep. We're going to special this week we've got a special Ooh. so we're going to delve deep into a bit of a hero of mine and um i think we'll have a bit of fun with that i think it'd be, it'd be t- take our minds off of current affairs and things while right. still keeping a toe in those waters i think so we'll see wow. what we can do so Ooh, are you ready special. i am yeah. ready i'm born ready my fucking friend but so what you need is a little beer so i'll get i'll, I'll pass you a beer now here's a beer so I'll t- oh i've got to pour it under the door here you oh, go yeah, pour yeah. this under that have, have a slip of that <laughs> Oh, that's better. That's better. Oh, right, oh, right, good stuff, right. So, with that down you now, let's do a bit of casting. Aye. Right, so I'm going to take you back a little bit of back in time. Almost, almost... 200 years. 200? Wowzers. Yeah. So we're going back to October 1837. And a servant girl by the name of Mary Stevens is walking towards Lavender Hill where she's working as a servant, right? And she was, um, a bitch was, um, this was after she'd been visiting her parents, right, in Battersea. Right, yeah. So she was on her way through Clapham Common, right? And suddenly, a strange figure comes upon her suddenly it grips her grasps her and starts kissing her face right while trying to rip her clothes off right with claws that were meant to be like steel it had fingers that were cold and as clammy as a corpse and suddenly she was screaming she was kicking she was fighting him off and he leapt away with huge bounds. Oh, man, is he spring Jack? Is he? Yes! Is he? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. This, I always think, when I see the name, I think, why haven't we covered him yet? Why haven't we covered him? Oh, this great. was the first attack of spring Jack. Wow. So was he a bit of a rape, bit rapey, were he? He was extremely rapey, but that's the thing <laughs> about spring Jack. He only really ever attacked women 
that we yeah. know of. Although one of the worst attacks he did do it did involve a man, but we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> but he were a fop and a fancy. <laughs> well, weirdly enough, that's the part of the theory about it is that he could have been. But basically, the the thing with him it was uh, with with Springheel Jackie. It was it was said to be sort of like the way he looked and way he dressed and way he sort of carried himself. It was in a very very strange fashion, you know. So for those people who don't really know about Springheel Jack, it was during this era, this era of 1838 onwards, that, um, or 1837 onwards, that this weird character just sort of popped into public consciousness. Now his description basically was satanic. That's what he was sort of said to look like. He was said to have had clawed hands, eyes that resembled red balls of fire. Um, he was meant to have like a black cloak which covered like a tight-fitting white garment like an oil skin, they described it. But what we'd sort of basically think of it is like, almost like a rubberized suit of some sort. Some say, it, yeah, some say it was like white, some say it was black. Um, he was meant to wear a helmet. Of some sort, some kind of helmet. I love right? the I love the cape though. You know when you describe it, I'm still thinking about the cape. <laughs> the cape's amazing. Well, the good thing is he'd fling the cape off, as in not, not 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 take it off. It's almost like a flash. He'd whip it open to reveal himself beneath all this stuff. Right, Ooh, his little shiny suit and that. His little shiny suit, and then of course he was meant to have like either gloves or attached to his hands like steel claws. Jeez. And it was with these claws he'd rip at the skin and clothing of women. And he was meant to basically just, it's almost like the classic ravaging of a woman sort of. <laughs> he would. <laughs> so he threw his cape off with his little helmet and his steel claws. And That's he'd rip it. away at women's outer garments. <laughs> and it was those outrages at that time. I and mean, this is 1837. This is not sort of like modern day era. If this had happened. 100 years ago, it had been an outrage. Yeah. This is happening nearly 200 years ago. This was the start of the Victorian era. It's a and scandal, those... kid. It's a fucking oh, scandal. It's a scandal. <laughs> it's a fucking scandal. That's exactly what it is. You know what I mean? Now, one sec. So, but after the attack on uh, Mary Stevens, this was. This was front page news. This sort of attack was absolute shocker to people. It was yeah. like, read all about it, all that sort of thing. Um, absolute horror, right? But then, next, the next day, the very next day, right, a leaping character was said to have jumped in the way of a passing carriage, right? So it's literally, I mean, the carriages at those times, big old, you know, a couple of tonne, these things. They're, they're proper Loads killers, of, though, aren't they? I've heard that, you know, getting run over by one of them, you're dead. You're fucking you're dead. dead. You're absolutely dead. And this fucker, he jumps out in front <laughs> of this carriage, right? Like, ha it is I, Springheel Jack! <laughs> He's pounced out, right? The coachman lost control, crashed, and severely injured himself, right? Shit. And then, but people, witnesses, right, saw all this happen. It was witnessed by loads of people. And they saw then the guy jump over a nine-foot wall while cackling with a high-pitched ringing laughter. Oh, that's so menacing, isn't it? What a little devil. <laughs> what a fuck about. That's the thing with him, you know, but... I mean, things people said, like, the Colin Spring Hill Jack, so they actually claimed that they actually he wore springs in his shoes. Yeah. 
Right, if you think about the sort of like the, uh, the uh, disabled sprinters and things like that, they're basically wearing spring shoes, aren't they now? Yeah, like yeah. You, you could not jump over a nine-foot wall on those. There's no device you can really devise that can help you do that. I can say back in Victorian days, you know, you ain't got like the the steel and the, you know, we can't do it now. They certainly couldn't do it then, could they? No, this is it. It's absolutely bizarre, you know. But then after that, you see, the spring heel jack, it, it, it kept appearing, it kept popping up. So every now and again, there'd be like another report. Oh my God, I've just seen spring heel jack again. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere, you know. But they're all sort of quite vague reports. They're always just like, like I said, we've seen him here, we've seen him there, we've seen him everywhere, that sort of malarkey, right? So this one correspondent, one of the newspapers said that, claimed that in Stockwell, Brixton, Camberwell and Vauxhall in London, right, during these sort of sightings and leaping, they said several people had died of fright. Jeez. While being while him leaping out, there's no confirmation of this. They don't know, yeah. but there are also reports then that seen that some people fell down and were having fits after having seen him. So they weren't too sure about why or how they had fits, but people say it was actually just through sheer fear that they'd because, seen. Uh, right, you know, back in the day, you know, they're not used. To, you know, we can watch anything on TV now, can't we? All Marvel bullshit and. You know, yeah. anything's possible, but back then the imagination, it's got a bit of a limit, hasn't it? You know, to see something so bizarre as that, um, you can imagine it in a way, such a kind of shock to the system, isn't it? Some oh, pervy cape spaceman. Well, well, weirdly enough, that's that's the thing, you see. I mean, obviously, nowadays we do, sort of, some people speculate, you know, it was it some sort of spaceman or anything. But back then, yeah. it was a deeply religious time. Basically, a lot of people thought they had seen Satan or a devil of some kind. So yeah. the, it, this sort of interaction with something so otherworldly just completely and utterly blew the mind. But the weird thing is, these thoughts of spring Jack were saying he could have been a shapeshifter. Because sometimes people were seeing him, they were saying he was actually appearing as a bear. <laughs> so this sort of like this this massive bear would suddenly appear, growl, wow. and then and then pounce away, leap away into the distance and just disappear. There was Jesus. there was reports of him appearing as a four footed creature, like almost like a bull. There's wow. all sorts of things. Yeah, there was there's one here from the Brighton Gazette which appeared on the fourteenth of April in eighteen thirty eight, right? And it was repeated afterwards in the Times. And it said, spring Jack has, it seems, found his way to the Sussex coast. He said he appeared in the shape of a, a, a bear or some four-footed animal, having attracted a gardener's attention by a growl. It then climbed the wall and ran along on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that gardener, he's just... Oh, shit! It? <laughs> And the chase is on. <laughs> and the chase is on. But then you see there was two reports right then later on because there was there were lots of this sort of these fears, these sort of scares kind of thing of them appearing. Hysteria? Yeah, well, a little bit could be potentially, but then there was two reports then sort of came on. There was there were known as the scales and the Allsop reports. Right. And this was a case where, like, it was Jane Allsop reported that on the night on the night of the nineteenth of February, eighteen thirty-eight, she answered the door of her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a candle. Right, claiming we've caught Springheel Jack here in the lane. Wow! So she brought the candle over and noticed that he wore a large cloak. <laughs> the, the moment she handed him the candle, however, he threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance. <laughs> I love the cloak. 
vomiting blue and white flame from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. <laughs> so he basically spat fire in her face, wow. right? Wow. And Miss Allsop also reported he wore a large helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Did she notice that before? Fucking well, hell. Honestly, you well, a policeman. Well, well, like a policeman, you see, so she thought he's wearing a policeman's helmet. Like a right? new hat, yeah. And then that's when he's thrown open this cloak and he's appeared what to be a, a tight-fitting white oil skin, so like I said, it's a rubbery <laughs> outfit again, right? Revealed himself. <laughs> and then without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with claws, which he said were certain of some metallic substance. So yet again, the metal claws. I'm just going to say, like some dirty Edward Scissorhands in here. Really. Yeah, <laughs> like some rapey Depp. <laughs> rapey Depp? <laughs> so she screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. And he caught her on the steps and tore her neck and arms with his claws, but she was rescued by one of her assistants. After which her assailant fled. So that's the sort of like this is one of the most famous attacks. This is one that did really kind of did he run off though, or did he leap off? What what happened? How did he flee? Well, because it's you got to remember that he's in a black cloak, and yeah. it's nighttime in London at those times. It'll be pitch black outside. Yeah, It'll be super yeah. super dark, even to the point where you know she thinks it's completely feasible that somebody'd knock on the door and say, "Bring a candle or bring a light of some sort," because it's so dark outside. So they couldn't see, he basically just disappeared into the night. That was it, you know. <laughs> but um, on the 28th of February, right, so this is just basically just over a week later, um, so nine days after the attack, 18-year-old um, Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in a deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed a person who was sort of standing at an angle of the alleyway. So walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came upon the person, who was wearing a large cloak, <laughs> he turned and spurted a quantity of blue flame into her face, which deprived her of sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits, which continued for several hours. Oh, God. Her brother added that on the evening in question he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house and on running up Dr Green Dragon Alley he found his sister on the ground uh, his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit with her sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home and he then learned from the other sister what happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being tall, thin and gentlemanly in appearance and who's covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak nor did he try to lay hands on them but instead walked quickly away. And every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outrages and several persons were questioned but were set free. So they just never found out who it was. It was just this sort of, you know, the, this this character made this attack, then fled. And of course, the weird thing is of this time as well, gentlemanly of appearance. People were used to seeing sort of like the, the wandering gentleman out in like either a top hat or well dressed, a big cane. <laughs> out for <Coming> crossies. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, perhaps that's it, you see. And the thing is a well to do area of Limehouse. Now, Limehouse. I don't know if you know the area. Of I, I thought that one, Whitechapel and all the rest of it, I thought it was quite a bit of a dodgy end of London. 
Well, it was actually the almost like the Chinese quarter at the time was like oh, yeah. it was it was a sort of place where where the you know a little bit like a Chinatown and a lot of people would be going there to sort of like dabble in opium and things like that. You Ooh, know? Yeah, baby. But that, and I think that's why they're sort of <laughs> 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 and I think that's what, sounds so cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think the idea of them sort of sounds really good. But I bet there were gin, dingy little pits in reality. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, everything in London at the time was pretty fucking grotty, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just you, like you know? human fucking feces everywhere, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> but going back to it though, it, was that you reckon that's one of his rapey techniques, the blue flame? You know, like knock him unconscious for seven hours so he can get snippy snip snip on him. What do you reckon? Well, I, I'm, this is this is something that I thought about, especially with him not making any noise. It could have yeah. been that he could have had some sort of, you know, like a fire breather. He had the lamp, they said, and at that time, carrying some sort of lamp or light, it could have been that he had a mouthful of some sort of fuel, you know, like lighter right. fuel yeah, sort of thing, yeah. you know what I mean, and just blown it almost like a like a fire breather. Yeah, and use the light yeah, to stop. Yeah, that's all right. Because I keep thinking he's a spaceman, but you're right here. I'm not giving it time of day that he could be just some trickster, some gentlemanly trickster, you know, causing havoc or something. Well, this is the thing with the don't know, and and but as it happens, Springheel Jack caught the imagination just absolutely dead right. Mm. He was this terrifying character, but also thrilling. That's what people found it. They found the whole idea of this guy leaping around, causing this. Mayhem and havoc. We found it quite thrilling as well. We were terrified, and women were terrified to go out on the on, on the town and you know out and about. But yeah. um, because they thought, oh, Spring Hill Jack's going to get you. And if you think of what he can do as well, the week in a third capture, he's almost like he's almost like a superhero. He's got the outfit, he's got the helmet, he's got superpowers, he's got ways to attack. But he's, he's also sort of creating slightly sexy outrages, wasn't he? He's a bit like Bat Boy, isn't he? You know what I mean? A bit mischievous. Well, well, this is the thing about him just appearing out of nowhere and doing sort of uh, uh, committing crimes or, or, or you know carrying on alarming sort uh, of thing. But so, back in day, you're right. I bet the ladies are a bit like, ooh, he's you know he's there with these little metal claws and his fancy cape trying to undress you in public and stuff. Well, that's it will be like you. Yeah, some people, some people, it's terrified and titillated in equal measure. Dirty birdies. <laughs> exactly, but, um, and this is why it sort of it really captured the sort of news as well that people were sort of like this guy was really going against these um, sort of the form of the time. And yeah. as well, when the, during the Victorian era, all right, everyone did have certain sort of uh, standards and certain moralities. And the Victorians did get a little bit stuffier as time went on, but it was. At a time of great change was this as well as 1837. It was like we're, we're deep in the Industrial Revolution. Things were happening. People were coming into cities and stuff like that. Yeah. There were lots of strangers on the street. And there was also people from other countries coming onto the street as well. So there's like this was like a double bubble of fear. Yeah, was the fact yeah. that the you know Spring Hill Jack was sort of like this this like you say creating a perfect storm, so you'd see people in the street who might be a bit posh, might be well to do, might be dressed in a way that you, you're not used to, and yeah. suddenly you might be your hackles might be up, you might be frightened, you might be thinking, oh my god, is it Spring Hill Jack? Yeah, I like so, it. Yeah. So what we need to do now, I think, is we need to delve a little bit into some of the other side stories around Spring Hill Jack. So let's, let's have go deeper. Let's go deeper. (laughs) (laughs) 
thing is, you see, with with Spring Heel Jack, it, it wasn't just confined to London, you know. All right. It was countrywide. It went all over the country. It went all over the country. Did Spring Heel Jack? Um, he, he, he sort of like as soon as the news sort of spread that Spring Heel Jack had been on the loose in London, he started to appear in like in um, Birmingham. Liverpool, uh, all over the sort of like the middle Midlands of England, he sort of like he started to pop up, and even there was even an appearance of him in Scotland. Wow! And um, there was some one a particular sort of like a well documented appearance was like a, there was a, a soldier at, um, in the north camp of uh, Aldershot Barracks in Hampshire. So one night in eighteen seventy seven. So this is thirty uh, forty years later, right? All right. Forty years later. They said a, 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 he observed a most peculiar figure advancing towards him out of the darkness at night while he was on sentry duty. The soldier challenged the mysterious individual and ordered them to halt and identify themselves. The person did no such thing. Instead, they audaciously approached the soldier and slapped him about the face. <laughs> <laughs> Jack! <laughs> and once he'd recovered, the startled soldier fired shots at the assailant, and unharmed and with astonishing bounds, the audacious prankster disappeared once again into the darkness. <laughs> He's like the mask, in here, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's the thing. <laughs> He's not really kind of, sort of like, he's not really killing anyone. He's just causing sort of fear and menace. <laughs> I tell you what, and it kind of suits the age, you know, in a way, if you're someone from the future, a space alien, it kind of... It'd be it'd be rougher and crazier, but it's kind of like a Victoria prank in it in a way. It does suit the era. If you, it if does you suit the me. era. Yeah, that's it. I mean, in, in, and the, so in 1886, so this is another 11 years after that particular, or nine years after that attack, the Birmingham yeah. Post reported that seeing how a young girl suddenly felt a hand on her shoulder, and when she turned around, she was terrified to find herself face to face with the infernal one with a glowing face <laughs> who bid her good evening <laughs> before bounding away, right? So uh, uh, he's addressed both those instances. Has he got the cape helmet? Has he got the silver suit and shit? And I, I'm not sure about the helmet. I'm, I'm saying the face, it was one with like the face of Satan. That's what wow. she's sort of saying, the infernal one. So yeah. he was just, yet again, a devil prankster who'd rocked yeah. up tapped her on the shoulder and said good evening you know <laughs> Bounded up. well this is it and they, what they're saying is like in Everton outside of Liverpool um, he was seen leaping up and down the street before jumping onto the rooftops and bounding away but never to be seen again that was the last proper sighting in the UK uh, what year was that Hill sorry Arkin. that was 1904 that was wow so he has expanded a bit there hasn't he so in the whole thing of like, well, that's the thing he never did really do because he kept as limber and lithe as ever, you know. Yeah, yeah. He was just sighted here, there, and everywhere um, over a seventy-year period, and there was still no sort of like. In fact, I mean, to be fair, that yeah, this is a seventy-year period. This it, it, it's because 1830, 1837 was the first yeah. one to nineteen o four. Now these thoughts that people might have been um, like sort of like either doing copycat attacks. The thought as well, the, one of the theories was to start with, that it was actually a group of, you, you're like you're in gentlemen's clubs where they've got nothing yeah, better to like do. Yeah, like Hellfire like, Club or something, yeah. Exactly, that thing, exactly. There, there was theories at the time that it was just a wager set by one of these clubs 
to go out and cause as much mayhem and chaos as possible and as usual bother ladies and you know really really attack women because yeah, they yeah. thought that was really funny like the hellfire club they were constantly attacking attacking their own women servants at the club uh, sort of bending them over and smacking their asses and carrying yeah, on alarming and stuff, hound you know. in the basketball type of thing yeah get the hounds on her <laughs> yeah that's it yeah, absolutely horrible behavior you know really unforgivable behavior but these Lechy. people were just yeah but they were just rich toffs with too much of their money you know daddy's money yeah, and nothing yeah, better yeah. to do than get pissed and carry on alarming so i think this that was one of the theories of what was going on but an interesting little piece was um written by one beatrix potter right wow cool she wrote about she noted that on the first of march 1877 she noted that there was a most singular nuisance going on since christmas around manchester a gang of young men calling themselves the spring-heeled jacks have been going about in the dusk and frightening people they wore India rubber dresses, right, mm-hmm. which would puff up at will to a great size. What? They had horns, a lanterns, and springs in their boots. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. How did they puff the things up? What's all that about? I have no idea. But basically what they're doing, they're going around armed and they were robbing people. So they're basically like some absolutely insane Peaky Blinders going about in this era, robbing. And this was a a street gang called the Spring Heel Jacks. She's in big rubber inflatable dresses. I know, it's mad, isn't it? It's absolutely mental. As if that would do anything. (laughs) That would be so bizarre. I know this is it. It is absolutely. It's just so weird. It is just so weird. But the thing is with Springheel Jack, he wasn't the start of it. So what I want to do now is have a little delve back in time to look at earlier incidents which might have sort of started this entire thing off. What deeper? Deeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weary for the springtime when we take the road once more. For the planting and the purling and the berry fields of blur We'll meet up with our kinfolk from all the world around When the gang of bird folk take the road and yellows on the broom When yellows on the broom When yellows on the broom And I'll get you on the road again When yellows on the broom First of the famous outrages of eras sort of thing, you know, somebody who, who caused as much a sensation as, um, as Spring Heel Jack was a character called Whipping Tom. <laughs> and Whipping, Whipping Tom was about in 1672. Right. And again, around London in the nearby village of Hackney. So this was a time when London was small. It was actually only a few years after the Great Fire of London, to be fair. Mm. So, you know, so we're talking about, what, about five or six years after the Great Fire of London. So there you've got Whipping Tom kicking about. And what he would do is this character, he would basically jump on women, grab them, bend them over his knee and lift their skirts before roundly spanking their asses, right? (laughs) Oh, what, with bare hand or? (laughs) Well, he either used his bare hand or he had a, um, like a switch of... of, um, of wood sort of thing <laughs> but the thing that I kind of liked about Whipping Tom even though it's an absolutely awful thing to do right his <laughs> calling card was he, he, he would yell out while doing it and shout Spanko <laughs> <laughs> Spanko 
Jesus, when he's Spanko. cracking the bear asses. Well, he's smacking the bear asses, yeah. That's getting me a bit fizzy. <laughs> well, he, he was saying as well, isn't it? And he said he's seen one of the main people he went after was milk wenches. Ooh, because your milk milky, milky. see milky milky. Well it'll be out early singing alone, uh, wouldn't they? Yeah. So and he's there he's there sort of crouched in the bushes or wherever he was, you know what I mean? <laughs> but they're saying he moved with great speed and violence. So wow. he's saying he was very, very fast and he was very, very strong. <laughs> he's got, did he have a kit? No, he didn't have a kit oh, at the time, you know what I mean? What about an helmet? But, no, but he did have a rod, like I said. I just thought he had a, he had a rod. But well, in, he did. He had this, yeah. <laughs> the right rod on. <laughs> well, the thing is with him, it was because he was so, so strong, he really injured some of the women. Oh, God. See, so absolutely, you know, he really did knock their really? arse in with this thing, you know. <laughs> did you say knock their asses in? Yes. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't stick it in anywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, but it did encourage what happened at the time, that women started carrying pen knives, sharp daggers, and scissors and stuff like that. And you're like big hat pins. They were sort of like yeah, carrying yeah. more of this sort of thing, you know? But he kept, again, the weird thing about this is, you know, this was sort of like, um, this was 1672, but it was in 1712. So this is like 30-odd years later. Yeah. They eventually captured somebody right who was a whipping tom of the time so this had kept going but they managed to catch the guy and this guy was called thomas wallace and he actually confessed to the attacks now whether this thomas wallace was you know obviously at the time you know you, the police are going to arrest somebody they're a bit more unscrupulous about how they get a confession yeah yeah but he said that he'd been kind of wronged by a woman in the past and this was his revenge on all women, was him to attack people. And what he wanted to do, he said, was that he wanted to attack a hundred women before Christmas. <laughs> um, cease the attacks during the 12 days of Christmas, then resume the attacks in the new year. Right? So... <laughs> oh, another hundred. Jeez. So this is this thing. So, But, it, but what, what I want to sort of point out is this was the outrage of the era was this sort of going on you know what I mean was mm. the whipping Tom <laughs> because it, it, it was the worst thing that could happen to people it was the worst thing that could actually happen was the idea you, you, you know you'd be walking along you as a young woman bare ass he's out bare ass spankered spanko and that's well it, again it, it might be the case that you know nobody might you know other men might not want you as a partner as a husband no, no dear wife. you've been you've been spankoed already yeah you've been spankered I'm the one who does the, the, the spanko round here you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But then you see this. This took us up to sort of like the 1700s. Did this by the eventual sort of capture and, and naming and, and convicting of whipping Tom. It's but funny his name's Thomas, though, isn't it? That's a bit of a coincidence. What? How do you mean? Well, they called him Whipping Tom, and then he ends up being a Thomas. It's like, oh shit! Yeah, well, actually, that's true. Do you know something? I never even thought of that. Never even mm. thought of that. That is true. Yeah. So, so, but it's, it is weird. Maybe that's the reason why they sort of like they nailed this guy is the fact that they've been calling him Whipping Tom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they just presumed that. Well, actually, I know a guy called Tom who's a bit spanky. You know, <laughs> yeah, Thomas Spanker. <laughs> <laughs> but then there was, you see, later on. In 1762, but not that much further on, it's only about 50 years actually after the capture of Whipping Tom, there was a ghost, right, known in London, known as the Cock Lane Ghost. Right? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> 
So they're saying that this is meant to be a haunting that attracted mass public attention in 1762. Uh, it, the location was like a lodging house in Cock Lane. So following the death of uh, during childhood of, of um, William Kent's wife, Elizabeth Linz, he became romantically involved with her sister, Fanny. <laughs> and she, Fanny lived on Cock Lane. <laughs> Fanny lived on true. Cock Lane. Yeah, oh, right. yes. <laughs> but there was some sort of there was some sort of like law, religious law at the time, prevented the couple from marrying because she had been he'd been married already to this this uh, Elizabeth Lines. Mm. So now he was sort of basically knocking off her, her sister, but because of like legal reasons that they weren't allowed to sort of like get married or live together. I was surprised with that. Yeah. So, but the. Um, so what they thought at the time was they just moved in together anyway. They just thought, like, I sod it, right? And that's moved into a house in Cock Lane. So it was Fanny in Cock Lane, right? <laughs> <laughs> so several accounts of strange knocking sounds and ghostly apparitions were reported, although most of these stopped after the couple moved out. Probably what, knocking it up. <laughs> Fanny on <laughs> Cock Lane. <laughs> but really, they, they actually... What that actually happened was the family moved out because, the, the, because Fanny... Died from smallpox, right? Oh, nasty. In that house, but yeah, then yeah. that house then was supposedly haunted by Fanny, right? And she was because she made this, <laughs> <laughs> because she made all these noises, it, it strange noises in the house. People started holding seances there, right, to try and get in touch with the right. What kind of noises <laughs> did Fanny make? <laughs> <laughs> well, these were scratching noises. And it, and, Scratching. Hey, you keep that COVID to yourself, Arkid. <laughs> he won't go under. No, you're all right. <laughs> you know, the, the, so that's what it was. She was known as Scratching Fanny, right? Oh, God. But and she lived it, on the, Cock Lane. Scratching Fanny on Cock Lane, right? But <laughs> this this became, again, a sensation. This I became, bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> this, became, this was as big as um, Spring Heel Jack. This was something wow. that were people believed in. People thought, "Oh my God!" And it just became this sort of like all, all sort of during the sort of sixteen, seventeen uh, sixties. <laughs> this became, and it got to the point where the churches had to get involved. People had to sort of say, "Look, this isn't you know you've got." To and just... it's just a scratching noise. I thought you know you're woo talking. Well, no, because, don't get because out. Well, because basically what they were doing is they were, they were contacting her, or she was contacting them, and, and it was basically evidence of like life beyond the veil. You know, this was sort of um, they were contacting the dead. So just um, a scratchy noise, or that's very well. They could ask questions. It? So during seances, they might say like one scratch for yes and two scratches <laughs> for no. Sort of thing, you know? <laughs> one, one funny scratch for yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, but that 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 died down did this particular sensation, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was all right, you know. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief, you know. That's that's gone away now. We had bloody, um, we've had whipping Tom, you know what I mean? That one man <laughs> sensation. Then we had we had scratching Fanny, right? <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> but then, in 1790, a new terror emerged. <laughs> A man was stalking women, right, in Aye. the dark street. A large man, and he was stand, He'd follow them and start shouting obscenities, and then repeatedly stab women in the buttocks and legs, Shit. claiming that he had knives fastened to his knees. 
So you grab them and knee spikes into them. What? That's fucking mental. And so he, was he's not, shouting obscenities at him and that. And he's screaming him up. And then he's kneeing him with knives. What? And he was known as the London Monster. So the and it was happening all over the places, right? There was even the things way he was doing was he was. I mean, do you know? I, do you know what a nosegay is? Right? What a nosegay? Yeah, a nosegay is like a posy of flowers. It's a pretty posy of flowers. But um, yeah. women, uh, gentrified women, would carry these around with them around London because the air stank so badly. Ah. Uh. That they'd have these things so they'd pass a load of shit in the street or something, and they'd yeah. have this thing, a nosegay, right? And what this guy was doing is he's offering to sort of sell these nosegays to women. So be in the street saying, Oh, I've got these lovely nosegays, you know, would like yeah, a, a smell of it. Yeah. And as they went in for a smell, he had a knife hidden in it and was stabbing them in the face. Oh, what? Yeah. Jesus, who are doing it first in their asses? And then it's like, I have a little smell of this posy, dear. And then stabbing exactly. your face. And it's stabbing them in the face. Oh, and that's nasty. It's absolutely awful, isn't it, you know? But then on um, on 13th of June, 1790, Anne Porter claimed she'd spotted her attacker in St. James Park. So she'd already been attacked by the sort of, um, uh, by, this, by the, what, the London in monster. Our, in our sorry face. Um, I don't know actually. I don't know how she was attacked. But it's, yeah, uh, she's, she's got the scars to prove it at the time. You know, well that's it. Well, the thing is, at the time, it was it was so there was a hundred pound re- reward put out already uh, by yeah. the philanthropist John Julius Angustine. Now, a hundred pounds back in those days, I mean, you can bloody buy half a London with hundred quid. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure, and even to the point where women were actually wearing copper pans. Over their petticoats, so they put the underwear on the petticoats on. Then they dangle a pan over the essential, <laughs> like over the bums and stuff, to avoid getting. <laughs> <laughs> so they're making their own armour. Yeah. Oh God, that's so what it, went so, for faces, isn't it? <laughs> so this is where. Well, it could have been. It could have been that could be the, the thing for it. But then Anne, uh, Anne Porter, who had been attacked by the London monster, I don't know how she was attacked. I don't know in what way she was stabbed, but she yeah. was basically she was attacked. But when she was out and about, she spotted her attack in Saint. James Park, and her admirer John Coleman, who'd been sort of like, um, sort of like walking, you know, taking the air with her kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. began a slow pursuit of the man, who realised he was being followed. So he, he kind of followed him, thinking, right, where's he going to go? Where's he live? Sort of thing. And that yeah, was his intention. Yeah. But then the guy realised he was being followed. Wow. So when Rinnick Williams, a 23-year-old florist reached his house, Coleman confronted him, accusing him of insulting a lady and challenged him to a duel. He eventually took Williams to meet Porter, who fainted when she saw him. So he brought Anne Porter to Williams and said, is this the man? And she passed out out of absolute sort of fear. Wow. So Williams protested he was innocent, but given the climate of panic, it was futile. He admitted he had once approached Porter, but had an alibi for another of the attacks. So saying he had actually approached her, I think he probably just said something like, oh, Madam, may I, might I take you for a cup of tea? And she's swooned yeah. out of absolute horror. But he, he's, he's got alibis for the other attacks, so I don't think this guy was the London, the London sort of, um, the London monster. Yeah, Flourish, though, he could get all of them little... Uh Gay noses, would it? Uh, nose gays, yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Well, exactly. Being a florist, it's sort of all sort of put together quite nicely. But magistrates didn't believe his alibi and they charged him with defacing clothing. 
And there was that uh, a, a crime doesn't sound much, but at the time it carried quite a harsh penalty. What worse than stabbing faces and arses? What? Well, for some reason, defacing clothing at that time carried a harsher penalty than assault or attempted murder. <laughs> right? Fucking <laughs> why? It's weird, isn't it? You know, really weird. But then during the trial, there was all sorts of stuff going on. There were toing and froing and carrying on, and it was all it was it was almost like a media trial. People were just yeah. lapping it up, right? And then one of the victims confessed that she had not been attacked at all. It was wow. all a fake. <gasps> oh, hysteria, tension. Wow. Well, it was, but this is a thing. So as a result of all this, right, uh, the court granted Williams a retrial. And in the new trial, Williams' defence lawyer was the Irish poet Theophilus Swift, whose tactic was to accuse Porter of a scheme to collect the reward. So this is Anne Porter, you know, the one who swooned. Yeah, yeah. So Porter now married Coleman, who had received the reward money. Because mm. it followed him, so he had got that £100. Jeez, you know, some big bucks. That's it. But aside from all this, it didn't work. They'd already decided that Williams was guilty and he was convicted of three counts and sentenced to two years on each count. So he was wow. imprisoned for a total of six years. And in reality, the true monster was never caught. Out there stabbing booty still. God. Out there. Yeah, this is it. Out there stabbing booty. Now, there was another case after this. This was in the case of 1803. There was a, a creature called the Hammersmith Ghost. Now, this ghost was sort of like... Um, it says, near the end of 1803, a number of people claimed to have seen and been attacked by a ghost in Hammersmith area of London. A ghost believed by locals to be the spirit of a suicide victim. And on the 3rd of January, 1804, a member of one of the armed patrols set up in the wake of the reports shot and killed a bricklayer, Thomas <laughs> Millwood, mistaking the white clothes of Millwood's trade for a ghostly apparition. So this Aww. poor guy's on his way home from work in his white clothing of a bricklayer. People thought he was a ghost and shot him. What <laughs> a dopey cat. It's white. Oh. Does he and even a ghost? <laughs> well, yeah, but this is the thing. It was, the, it was this fear. Of mm. the ghost, you know what I mean? It's, it's saying like, um, and why it started, I don't know, you know what I mean? But it's one of these things that you just they, they realised that they'd been walking past some sort of like, um, because people believed at the time as a, as a suicide, that your spirit would just walk the earth because you weren't allowed to bury suicides on consecrated ground. Yeah, And it that. wasn't. So what they described is that the apparition was described as being very tall, dressed in white, but also said to wear a calfskin garment with horns and large glass eyes. Oh, Jesus. Now, if you That's think of that, if you, if you take away the cape, you've yeah. got yourself in a white garment, calfskin, yeah. so like a leathery, rubbery garment, yeah. horns, so horns or headgear or something like that. Yeah, and we said before, like, and these weird, mad glass eyes. God. Like so a the same eyes. <laughs> You're dead like an old eyes. I mean, one case it was says like um, two women, one elderly and the other pregnant, were reported to have been seized by the ghost on separate occasions while walking near the churchyard. They were so frightened, they both died of shock a few de days afterwards. Fucking hell. That's some scary shit. They're dying it, from it. Dying of the shock of it. 
And there was a brewer's, uh, a brewer's servant called Thomas Groom later testified that while walking through a churchyard with a companion at about 9pm, something rose from behind a tombstone and seized him by the throat. Here his scuffle, his companion turned round, at which the ghost gave me a twist round, and I saw nothing. I gave well, a bit of a... give him a what? <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> what happened in scuffle, Arky? <laughs> he managed to get him out and give him a twist round. <laughs> well, I... I, I Dirty beggars. <laughs> I think what a twist round is, it's not like a reach round. Oh, right. <laughs> I, th- I think he managed to sort of get loose and get out of his grip, ah, right? right. And yeah. then he and then when he when he lashed out with a with a punch, right? Nice. It just it's, it just felt like it was just a big soft coat. That's all it felt like. Whoa. So it's like at the time so the, again this this thing then this this Hammersmith ghost, a grip of fear took hold of London. People seen it all over the place. They've been attacked by it. It was jumping out on people, and they organised these armed, uh, armed patrols. So people were just taken to the streets. Uh, vigilantes were taken to the street, armed with knives, with clubs, and with guns. Crikey. And that's when Thomas Millwood, just after eleven p.m. on eighteen oh four, third of January eighteen oh four. Um, he was out and about, you know, just doing his work. Coming home at eleven p.m., he's been a brick making bricks, a bricklayer, oh. right? Sorry, he was a bricklayer. So from eleven p.m., he must be knackered. This is midwinter as well, isn't it? Third yeah. of January. It's only just a bit after New Year. He was wearing like his, his white stuff, which looked apparently quite new, and an apron which was white as well. He was just walking. He's just on his way home, right? And according to Anne Millwood, the plasterer's sister, immediately after seeing his, her brother off, she heard Smith challenge him. This is the guy who shot him, saying, Damn you, who are you and what are you? Damn you, I'll shoot you. Ugh. After which Smith shot the bricklayer in the lower jaw and killed him. Shot uh, him in the face. Oh, in the jaw. Ugh. And they said, like, the, uh, the, um,. After hearing the shot, Girdler and Smith's neighbour, one John Locke, together with a George Stowe, met Smith, the man who had shot him, who appeared very much agitated. And upon seeing Millwood's body, the others advised Smith to return home. So the sort said to him, look, you've done something stupid. Get yourself home. We'll, we'll get this sorted, right? Millwood's corpse was carried to an inn where a surgeon, Mr. Flower, examined the body and we pronounced him death as a result of a gunshot wound on the left side of the lower jaw with a small shot which had penetrated the vertebrae of the neck and injured the spinal marrow. Oh, God, that's nasty. It's nasty business, isn't it? You know what I mean? Mm. But um, but apparently Smith was... Um, he was actually convicted of murder or the accidental murder of the, uh, of the bricklayer there. Good. Um, but the thing that happened, because this had happened, it was never seen again, wasn't the ghost. There was no more accounts of it, no more witnesses, nothing wow. ever happened ever again. Now, that is not to say that this bricklayer was the ghost. Yeah. Well, what like happened? The, like the hysteria is over, or, you know, the, the ghost got scared or something? Well, this, the, it was, there was no ghost. That's the reality of it. It was, yet again, it was another... It was just a fear. It was a terror that gripped the place, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. absolutely sort of... It, it just did for people. And as soon as something serious happens, the spell is, is, is lifted, it's broken. People suddenly realise, oh, we've been bloody silly sausages here, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, and, it's, and it's over. Which is a sad thing, because sometimes it takes the death of a chap 
to realise what had actually happened, you know. I tell you, it was something on subject, but off subject, but you know, like the hysteria of things. I remember, like, for quite a few years following the uh, the cat murderer, you know, the, the, in different places from Whitby to Brighton to London. Um, someone did actually get convin- uh, convicted last year of being, a, you know, like a cat killer. Um, yeah. And he was doing it, but he didn't do all of them. And just, the, you know, cause the basically cases were definitely happening and they were uncaught. Um, and then the news got out of hand, really. Or either the case of like England just had a lot of cat killers all of a sudden, like serial cat killers. Although there was just one man that did a bit, and then the hysteria went from town to town, and people started really blaming. Um, I, like, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like a cat ripper, wasn't it? The sort of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it's. I'm still the jury's still out on this because I do know some of the cases were actually just put down to being foxes. They've actually fo- found fox DNA on the corpses. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, but not all of them. The way the man well. did get, you know, convicted of it, and I bet in the in it there were a few. But Whitby had a really bad, and there were like this big mystery going on in Whitby for a long time. I've never heard anything get solved in that one. But you think hysteria, or is there another cat killer out there? Is it something that we, you know, even in this modern era, we still love that kind of scandal, or we get behind it? Well, well, this is very true. In fact, that actually leads us nicely to look at perhaps other scares or hideous attacks which were going on at later dates so let's have a deep into a uh, deep dive into that now then yeah deeper <laughs> <laughs> What I propose we do is we actually take things a little bit closer to closer to the curve now. Ooh. Because in eight in nineteen thirty eight. In what? In, ni- in nineteen thirty eight. So this is obviously right. quite a bit later. We didn't sort of like, <laughs> you went eighteen nineteen thirty eight, then I'm like, has that <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking, I've just got dates, dates, dates. Come on, sorry, mate. So 1938, yeah. I'm on it. Benny's there. I'm here. Benny's there. We're in, we're in 1938 now, so we're just just at the we're just at the turn of World War Two, if you think of it like that as well. Like you know. That. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, a new spate of attacks started, and this time it was in Halifax in West Yorkshire. All right. So what was happening was, in Halifax, in November 1938, Halifax was a host to a series of reported attacks on local people by a mysterious dark figure who became known as the Halifax Slasher. Shit. And all the attacks included assaults by knife, razor and hammer. And according to one report, the attacker was said to have one distinctive feature, bright buckles on his shoes. And this, these attacks, now what I like about this, this is really interesting. They took place over a period of 10 days. Ooh, and the result is killer. It's a spree killer. But this is the thing, I mean, in that time, you've probably got yourself a genuine psychopath on the loose, you know what I mean? It could happen to anyone, these attacks. These yeah. are absolutely terrifying, you know. 
and reported attacks came all over the district, including Elland, and later parts of Lancashire also reported attacks. And even scouts manned telephone kiosks in the hope of stopping the criminals. So scouts were sort of waiting alongside to sort of say, he's here, we can phone the police, and they're doing their own cool. little bit. Which I think, yeah, cool, well. scouts are on it. <laughs> so we've got a timetable of the events, you see here. So, so 16th of November in 1938, the first reported attack came from two girls, Mary Gledhill and Gertrude Watts, who claimed they were attacked by a man wielding a mallet in Ooh. Old Bank Lane, Rippenden. Then 21st of November, so this is five days later, the next reported attack was of Mary Sutcliffe, who said she was attacked in Lister Lane. And this was said to be the first of the slasher incidents, so this is where he attacked her with a razor. Shit, so all the ones did actually get malleted. Did he hit him with a mallet a lot? He attacked him with a mallet. These were attacked with a knife. Uh, The next ones were all with knives and blades. And what happened in this one was, uh, this was a Clayton Aspinall in Jasper Street. This is 24th of November, right? He was attacked outside the School of Art. Then in Elland Lane in Elland, Percy Waddington was attacked outside his own shop. So he'd just come out of his own shop and he was slashed up, you know? Shit, so it's male and female. He don't give a shit. He don't care. On that same night, Hilda Lodge was attacked in Green Lane. Then two days later, Beatrice Sorrell was attacked in Bedford Street North, close to uh, Halifax's famous gibbet, the hanging pole of Halifax, you know. Wow. But so then, so after that 27th of November, there were two attacks. Beatrice Sorrell was attacked, and then uh, um, Fred Baldwin was also attacked outside the Standard of Freedom pub in Copley by a group of drunken vigilantes. <laughs> so people have seen him out and about, and, and this is what had happened. In that time, the vigilantes took to the streets. Mm, I bet they did, all pissed up and that. So 29th of November, Margaret Kenny was attacked at Dean Clough Mill by a well-built man with a broad face wearing a very lightweight shoes and what felt like a dirty Macintosh. So also on that day, uh, Mary Sutcliffe was also attacked for a second time outside (laughs) her home. So it's like, I mean, that's the worst fear, isn't it? Everyone's worried about sort of like, you know, being attacked, but, you know, getting attacked a second time. Oh, you're not going to sleep well, are you? God. Not and at this all. Is just all slashed up, raised up. No one dies. No one got. He doesn't go too far. He's just slashed up. Or does he uh, stab him? Stabbed as well. There were ju- there was there was stabbings. There was razor blade cuts. Everything was um, was going on. So after one lady's slashing, a mob of a one hundred people descended oh, on the God. scene. And they apparently just picked up a, a bloke at random, in, in a, as it described as almost like a kill the beast sort of game. You know, like yeah. on uh, um, Lord of the Flies, this sort of yeah. mania, right? Oh, God. It's the worst Ellen Lynch ones, aren't they? That's it, you know what I mean? So it's like, and, and, and it was even and, you know, a bad one was a 15 year old boy who was trying to walk home with his bike after a, a drunk neighbour saw him standing outside a bar and he accused him of being the slasher who attacked him, inciting everyone on the block to storm out of their homes armed with pokers uh. so the boy escaped eventually and the man de- uh, denied inciting the mob and even claimed he'd rescued the boy right this is a <laughs> piss block outside this pub right <laughs> and he, he even t- to a point where he, c- he came round to the boy's house to apologise for what had <laughs> happened to this bloke right and his dad came out and twatted him <laughs> <laughs> good because yeah. Paul had probably been beaten by pokers for half an hour or something Loads of people were attacked by these mobs. People were just these mobs were roaming the darkness and just jumping on people and beating oh, the shit out of them, right? Man, they're terrifying with them. But then 
it came out that there was no such slasher. What? The women, eh? So so Sutcliffe was... were winding them up twice. So, so what do you mean, Sutcliffe? <laughs> Well, Sutcliffe, she got attacked twice, didn't she, you said? Oh, right, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was um, yeah, Mary Sutcliffe. Sorry, I thought it meant Peter Sutcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminded me of that, you know what I mean? Because you're thinking hammers and bloody knives and Halifax and that. It's like, Jesus. Oh, all these people, and I think what it was is because these people were attacked, the mobs had attacked innocent people, that the hysteria fell from the people who said they'd been attacked, who got swept up in it all. And I think they realised... Oh shit! This isn't a game anymore. This isn't just something a bit of fun. Yeah. And um, which it never has been a bit of fun. But I don't know. There's some sort of perverse pleasure taken in it. Attention in it. A lot of people attention. do some crazy things for attention. And once one person's got it, people are diving on it as well, aren't they? That's it. So the reality was the madness felt. The ten days of madness fell away from the people of Halifax. And everyone admitted it was fake. It wasn't real. It hadn't happened. Any injuries that they'd done. Because I think people sometimes, you know, just going about your daily business, sometimes you get a scratch or something. Yeah. Or you might get a cut on your arm. Or you might brush past somebody and maybe even cut yourself on on something they've, they're carrying or something. Yeah. And you're suddenly screaming, you know, I've been attacked by the slasher. And everyone around you is giving you massive amounts of attention. Oh, you haven't been attacked by the slasher. That's, oh, you know, my point. are you all right? And that was it. It just, it just goes through the roof. I mean, I don't know if you remember locally, but do you know up by um, where the Showcase Roundabout is in Leeds? Yes, you know, sure. sh- Showcase Cinema. Up there, there was a nightclub for a while. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was possibly like Barcelona's or something like yeah, this. Yeah, I remember right? that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hysteria took over that, and people believed in this. This is during the nineties. People feeling like a, a stab. And they were looking around and they were finding a piece of paper in the pocket. And they believe they've been stabbed by a hypodermic needle. And the wow. piece of paper in the pocket said, Welcome to the AIDS Club. Oh my God. Right. And it was, it swept through loads of, uh, through the north of England, loads and loads of nightclubs. This is what's happening. People said, Oh my God, this has happened. I found this in my pocket. Oh my God, I've been attacked. It does ring a bell. I remember something like yeah. that. Yeah. Turns out none of it ever happened. It didn't happen. It was all just hysteria. It was nobody's ever established syringes. It didn't. It just people thought they did. And it's the same thing. You're just dancing on a dance floor. You feel something like jab or it might even mean some piss blood nipping a woman's ass sort of thing. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And next thing you know, there's a belief that oh my god, I've been I've been stabbed. It's yeah, I'm I'm going to get AIDS. I've got to get blood tests. Everything like this, you know. But it wasn't. It was just here's hysteria in response to what was happening at the time, you know. So, wow. and that's what this thing was with the Halifax slasher. There was no, I don't think any of the people were actually brought to trial or anything like that. I think they were cautioned for you know yeah, wasting yeah. police time. But the reality is, the Halifax slasher it never existed. It didn't happen. But you know, we love, everyone, we, we love it though, don't we? You know, if someone's telling you a tale like that, you stop everything for a story like that. You know, you, that is it's inbuilt in humans, isn't it? We love a story like that. You can see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger and people wanting to be part of it. It's madness, isn't it? Ten days craziness. Well, it is as well. And also, I think a lot of it has to do with when it was happening. It's the start of the war. It's a time of great fear. It's a time of change yet again. People are already on edge and stressed out. They're already at breaking point. But 
who can you lash out? Who's the real danger? Who's the menace? Uh, and mm. when it's, it's it's like us now with like Putin, you know, what I mean, we all think there's this, we, there's nothing we can do. There's no sort of response. Yeah, nothing to you that. can do. I've got fucking Pete on a little bloody hundred <laughs> yard old hit. Once he smells them, think it's the fucker. <laughs> But this is it. I mean, it, but the, like you say, as far as we're concerned, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, the but powerlessness of it. There's a powerlessness to it. Yeah, this is it. You know, it's absolutely. Um, and as a result of that, perhaps we need to look at yet another character. This time, what we should do is let's look towards Europe. Flay. Just, just before you get into it, Arkin, when you're talking about Europe and we're talking about, you know, in these weird times, people making, um, you know, you feel powerless. You, uh, there's a great one that's going around, um, like on Instagram and Twitter. I found it as well. Um, but have you heard about the UFOs being sighted all across Ukraine and all across Russia? I, I did. You, I think you posted some or forwarded some about these. Yeah. You know, about you, yeah. Well, I did a retweet of one of them. Um, but when you go deeper into it, apparently like the UFO sightings have gone crazy over Russia and Ukraine. Uh, one thread kind of says that uh, Russia were invading Ukraine just to get into this UFO arc that's supposed to launch and they want to capture it and all that sort of stuff. But the one that keeps popping up that I find brilliant is that this uh, big UFO's come down and started attacking the Russian, like a, a convoy of tanks and started laser beaming them and these lightning shooting out of the spacecraft and like destroying all the Russian tanks and stuff. Well, the th thing is, you see, a lot of that stuff, is, there could be tech being used at the moment, or drone technology that we're not aware of which could yeah, have been yeah. lent to the to the ukrainians by the americans or something you know this as far as i'm concerned because the thing is everybody's talking about all the time about lending them jets and stuff it's just lend them drones yeah because sure, because yeah. you just debadge drones um set set drones off all over the place and you could, they could even have american pilots for them sort of set i mean they could be flying in from america that's probably what's happening, to be honest, Arkin. But I just love that they've, you know, when you need a hero, or sometimes you need an enemy, don't you? Or you need to, yeah. be, you need to take it away from reality. Uh, but he's still as strong today, you know what I mean? You four striking fucking convoys of tanks and that. Well, I hope well, it's true. Well, weirdly enough, that does lead us into the my next little story, actually. And Lovely. this is the fact. This is this takes us to Czechoslovakia, right? Yeah. Uh, during World War Two. And during World War Two, a character started to appear, and this character would jump out of shadowy, shadowy alleyways, startle people, maybe kind of attack them as well with razor blades or knives attached to his fingers, and then leap away over walls. <laughs> Jesus Christ! This what is, is going on? Perak, the Spring Man of Prague. The spring, <laughs> the spring man of Prague, and he was coming. He was he was coming in, leaping in, and attacking people. And but bit by bit, the the Czechos love or the, the the Prague the people of Prague took this character to their hearts, and he became a folk hero. 
He became a, a, they, they just for some reason they 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 took him to the hearts during this time of war, this time of conflict, and they started creating comic books about him and little films about him as a hero fighting the SS. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of bat boy again there, isn't it? You know, exactly. The, the scampiness of him suddenly turns into a hit doing that against their enemies. Well, the, the, think the origins of this this character, right? It was a character known as the Razor Blade Man, or Ziletka in the Czech, right? And this was basically, I think, a maniac of some sort, right? And he was saying. Um, what be it so, so from dark alleyways and things, he would just turn up with this guy and he would just come out of the darkness. And they said, they said, they said what, what he how he appeared was his legend also went on to live on after the war when he was at a common scare in late night public transportation. They would see him coming out of the darkness, right, in a long raincoat with a sleazy smile with his hands in his pockets. <laughs> and when he took them out, his fingers were equipped with razor blades taped to them. And they'd leap on women and attack them, cutting their legs and stuff, right? And he was reckoning, but things, he sounded just like a bit of a pervert, was this guy. He was just like, it was a lot of the time, he was just sort of like knocking people to the ground and wanking on them and stuff like this. Oh, did which would. Yeah, yeah, he'd be like masturbating over people and stuff. But the thing, uh. it, 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 I think again, I think this guy in origin was just a, a, a dirty perv kind of thing, a nasty piece yeah. of work and a pervert. But, um,. Later on, this spring man of pag, this perak, he became more and more basically spring heel Jack. And wow! You see, the, the issue they had at the time, I think the reason why the people of Prague took perak to their hearts, is because so much bad stuff was already happening. So mm. it sort of really sort of started around 1939, which was when they were actually occupied. Was uh, was uh, the Czechs by by the SS it, it themselves actually took over Prague. And they had enough, enough baddies kicking about and evil people kicking about that just this concept of the spring man, <laughs> it, it, it didn't seem like a bad guy. I mean, oh, he's, all he's doing is jumping. He's not murdering all of us. He's just he's having like, a bit of a wank on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think Perak, I don't think Perak was wanking. Oh, right. <laughs> I think the original razor blade man, I think he was like a nasty piece of work, I think, but he morphed into Perak. And yeah, it, bit yeah. by bit, it just became more and more... I don't know, popular, and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you can imagine it, though, if you think he can get away from us, he can get away from the horrible fucking Nazis. Uh, well, so you would kind of think he were cool, like a superhuman, like, you know, he's on your side or something. Well, they're saying as well, because he was actually, uh, he was out and about all the time, there was rumours started he was actually attacking the Nazis, and he was oh. he was defying the curfews, and he, he was attacking and disrupting sort of like their, their activities, and yeah. they, they were, made the Nazis look like bumbling fools and turned them into figures of fun in a weird kind of way. Um, but because the, the reality is that the, the Nazis in, in the Czech Republic and Prague were insanely evil towards the locals. The Nazis were the worst they've ever been anywhere to the Czech people. A lot of people don't know about it because the, the Germans at the time had decided, or one particular German uh, leader at the time had decided that he wanted to absolutely 100% crush the Czech people. And it was in his under his tutor, or under his watch, that m insane brutal massacres took place. Well, I, I ain't heard of this. I didn't know this. I thought it was just evil to everyone. Well, well 
the, well, they were evil to everyone, but because of this guy was in charge, it was Reinhard Heydrich, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but it was ba he was basically the third most powerful Nazi under um, under Hitler. Right. Now, Heydrich, right, I don't know if you know anything, he's, he's the subject of a really, really good book called HHH, which sort of tells all about him. And he was the closest thing the Nazis had to Darth Vader. And I, I'm not even exaggerating in a I weird must way. Know, he hasn't got massive bushy eyebrows and a huge forehead, has he? No, he looks like shit. he tip. No, he look, no, 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 no. This, this guy was not as thick as shit, right? This guy was incredibly intelligent. He was an, an excellent archer, a fencer. He was a great violin player, right? He was one of the best um, horsemen, you know, um, uh, in wow. the army. And he was also an ace fighter pilot. <laughs> now this guy would kick about, sort of. Like he would, you know, be signing papers and everything like that, and sort of like ordering all the troops around. He's immensely high up in the in the Nazi in the Nazis. Mm. Then he'd hear of a particular action going on somewhere, and he'd get into a fucking fighter plane and go oh, do. God. He'd get into a Messerschmitt, and off he'd go. Fighting the the you know the, the British and stuff like this. That got, is mental, in it, yeah. And he would be like, you know, he'd, he'd like to choose two people, you and you, with me. We're going up to take them on, and he'd Fucking go on bombing. Straight Vader shit, innit? Yeah, absolutely straight Vader shit. There was even one point, right? There was two Messerschmitts flying in pairs, and the fighters, uh, the fighter jets would um, they were taking in turns with these fighter jets to sort of like a protector bridge, a bridge near Yampol. But then the mm. Russian Akak. Forces, the anti-aircraft forces fired up and started attacking these German planes. The German planes then sort of flew, trying to make it back to the German lines, but was shot down. This plane was shot down and crashed right next to the Russians. The mm. pilot jumped out, right? The Germans legged it, the, the Russians legged it, they ran away. What they didn't realise was the pilot was actually Reinhard Heydrich himself. It would have been like Hitler in a jet plane, in a, in a fighter plane, <laughs> shooting at them and then crashing in front of you and getting out. It'd be like Hitler getting out. So, why did they right. run off though? I don't get it. Well, I don't know. They, I think they just. I don't know why they run off, but they did. They did flee because I think maybe they even thought that the plane was going to blow up. But he right. would he would regularly go on sort of these fighter pilot runs. But the thing about him was, he was extremely, as I say, because he was obvious, he obviously a psychopath. He was obviously yeah. psychotic. And he would just, like I say, he would just do the most insane stunts and things uh, um, because he just thought he was immortal. And as such, he would drive around Prague, where he was based, in an open-top car. Yeah. Now, talks of Perak, the spring man, right? Because he was sort of like inspiring people to say, go up against the Nazis. People thought, fuck it. We can do it. We can fight back, and as such, the um, the people became empowered, and they became they created this plan to kill Reinhard Heydrich. Oh, I the, know the dude now. You're right. He's fucking Darth Vader. I know this story. <laughs> he's got a big scar and shit, and he's fucking. I know this dude. And, and as such, so what happened was, as he was driving, as he was driving round, they um, two trained assassins. Um, who had actually been trained in England were shipped over or dropped, they were actually sort of flown and landed in, in, in Prague hid out for a while and then they, um, while he was driving along I think he was coming back from the airport or something like this that leapt out with a machine gun and, um, a, and a landmine the machine gun jammed 
And the landmine didn't go off or something, did it? No, it did go off. It landed right. and it, it blew out the wheel of the car. But it also sent shrapnel and um, material like cloth and stuff like that blasting into Reinhard Heydrich's side. So yeah. all these bits of shit. But he jumps out of the car, starts firing, does fucking <laughs> Reinhard Heydrich, <laughs> and sends his um, bodyguard down, chasing down the street after the would-be assassins. Yeah. But the assassins turned round and shot this guy. <laughs> but he's, uh, Heydrich, his wounds became infected and he fell into a coma and died. Good. <laughs> and he was given like the biggest state funeral. Everybody missed him like that, right? Yeah, yeah. But somebody wasn't happy with him. Hitler, right? <laughs> Hitler was furious that he'd taken so many chances, right? And they gave him, they gave him this amazing funeral, a, a massive send-off. It was great. But what, what Hitler actually said was, he said, since it is opportunity which makes not only the thief but also the assassin, such heroic gestures as driving in an open, unarmoured vehicle or walking through the street and guarded are just damned stupidity which serves the fatherland not one whit. That a man as irreplaceable as Heydrich should expose himself to unnecessary danger, I can only condemn as stupid and idiotic. Wow. But, but that kind of bravery, the, the ability to stand up against the Nazis, wouldn't have yeah. happened if it hadn't been for the spring man. <laughs> <laughs> Because it empowered people, it braved people, yeah. and they realised they could fight back, and all it takes is a bit of guile and a bit of wit, and you can do it. Because it just makes sense in history, doesn't it? You know, from King Arthur to all the, you know, those kind of stories that stay with us, they always have got like a strength Absolutely. behind you because of them. But if a modern spring dude, you're like, yeah, let's do yep. this shit. But yeah, so that, like I said, so the, that's the spring man of Prague, who started, obviously, started out as a. Um, what could have been a pervy murderous molester, but became basically the Czech people's first and only superhero. Because now we're killer fucking nasty Nazi as well. So that's exactly, that's shit. it. You see, easy. That's pretty cool, is that? But um, but I think what we need to do now is take a quick dive over the Atlantic and maybe uh, maybe visit America. So let's see a, a, a little case over there now. Forties now, so we've gone a little bit more in time, sort of thing, you know. But the, during the nineteen forties in America, they too were kind of in the grip of fear, the unknown, what's going to happen. And as we've already seen through all these other cases, when you have the unknown, what seems to have come with it is another strange attacker. So the first, the first attack was actually reported. Um, this is at slightly different attacks. Is this? Um, this was in Grant Avenue in Mattoon on the August uh, August the 31st, 1944, where a guy called Urban Rafe was woken up in the early hours of the morning by a strange smell. And he felt sick and weak, right? And he started to puke up. <laughs> and so his wife quickly rushed down and checked the stove, thinking, oh, God, you know, maybe perhaps I've left the gas on or something like that. 
and and she tried to get up right but she found she was paralyzed and unable to leave her bed Whoa. and that's when they reported that there was the mad gasser of Mattoon was striking. God, that's an odd in it, the mad gasser. And so what followed was similar incidents all over town. People were basically seeing somebody creeping about. They were seeing sort of people, you know, creeping around in the undergrowth and in the bushes, looking through windows and things like this. Next thing you know, there was a strange smell in the air and people were just either having fits, convulsions, collapsing. Um, not being able to get out of bed, throwing up, all sorts of stuff. And this went on all over town. It was madness. But the thing is then, they actually think it could have been, the description of the person was almost similar to a woman. It was a smaller, slight figure, slim build, creeping around silently. The, and the, um, the uh, symptoms ranged from... Uh, paralysis of the legs, coughing, nausea, and vomiting. Right? No one died or anything, though. There was no deaths of it. It was all just illness that struck the town. You need a big bit of kit, though, wouldn't you, to ga gas someone? How was she doing it? You know, supposedly doing it. Well, this gas is canisters or something. Well, that's what the thinking was that somebody just walking around with like a gas canister, just releasing it, you know, like a, a cylinder, putting it's a pipe through a window, and then just gassing people. <laughs> But once again, it got to a point where there was loads and loads and loads of people just phoning the police, going, oh, the gas is here, the gas is here. And it just went, the, the town just went wild with it. Until eventually, they think there was the police that just sort of said, listen, there's nothing happening. There's nobody here. Nobody's dying. Nobody's sick. You're all fine. It's okay. And as such as that, they just sort of, it just petered out. It just filtered out oh. bit by bit by bit, and then they realised then that perhaps actually nothing had ever actually happened. It was just fear of the unknown. That's so strange, isn't it? Again, with the war and that fear of helplessness, and then you, you bring it ne right next to you, you know, right in your town, in your neighbour. God, that's no. bizarre. It's weird, isn't it? And it's, it's also, why would you suddenly decide this is the thing to fear? You know, with the Halifax Slasher, it was cuts on the arms or something found on, perhaps just a made-up story. With the Mad Gaster of Mattoon, it's, once again, it's just something, perhaps somebody's feeling ill and suddenly blaming it on a an attack, something happening. But would you think <gasps> maybe, maybe an echo from First World War with the mustard gas and that new type of warfare, you know what I mean? And just thinking... You know, it's on his home soil, this new war. Somewhere. Weirdly enough, I that's exactly what my thinking was. Um, because gas you is... You just fucking robbed that off me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't seen it, Arkin, till I said it. <laughs> well, you haven't printed out the poem by Wilfred Owen from 1921 called Dulce et Decorum Est, have you? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair dues. <laughs> Because basically, Dulce Decorum Est, I think it means, uh, it's, I think it's uh, the Horace, the Roman poet Horace, it, it translates as, it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. That's what the poem means. Right, yeah. And, um, and he's on about how noble it is, like a, a death in war, but they're saying how awful gas attacks were. And the fact it was, as you quite rightly say, in 1951 in America, it was within living memory was these gas attacks. You know, the, the people yeah. knew people who'd been in the trenches and stuff, you know. Yeah. And it says, one of, one of the quotes is, gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. 
but someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime, dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under gr a green sea I saw him drowning. In all my dreams before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. So like you say, that fear of gas was very much at the forefront of people's minds. And especially there when you're going into World War Two, the thinking, and perhaps even the rumour was, that um, gas bombs would be dropped on, on America. You know, yeah, not many yeah, people brought Amer war to America. America's People have gone out from America to war. But yeah. this was actually a battle, a world war, where they genuinely believed that you could have had Nazis marching on, on American soil. So uh, everyone was keyed up and frightened. So, yeah, it could be very true. But as it turns out, yet again, the mad gasser of Mattoon looks to... It might well have been hysteria. God, it's scary, isn't it? What we can whip up even one person and it's the other people grabbing hold of it and, like, I'll have a bit of that. Just That's running with that particular ball, isn't it? It's yeah, very, very strange, you know? <laughs> Staying in America, though, during 1938, in a place called Algiers, yeah, which is just across the river, the Mississippi River from New Orleans, right? So down in the deep south. Again, 1938, the time when war was occurring. And if you, if you see, there's a, that was the same time that the Halifax Slasher occurred as well, 1938. Mm, there was a, a creature suddenly appeared in town known as the Algiers Devil Man. <laughs> and the... He was described as being truly outlandish. Long black horns, eyes like those of a chicken, and bright <laughs> pink ears resembling sunflowers. <laughs> what the? Eyes like a chicken? I've never eyes heard like... that, Arkin. That is fucking stupid. And ears eyes like, like sunflowers. Big pink sunflowers, right? And it could disappear at will or just quickly morph into a baboon. Wow, <laughs> a baboon. That's so specific. And he would fly around the city, insulting wandering women and wrecking unprepared homes and bars. What? So again, he was, um, he was almost like a puckish character. He wasn't really killing anybody. He was just sort of carrying on alarming. He was jumping out, frightening people. So the first notable incident involved the horrifying hooligan taking place one night when a husband and wife were driving home from an enjoyable night of dancing, and they, and they were stopped by an unidentified man who asked if they could give him a lift. The wife didn't like the look of him, and so they said no. And however, it was clear the figure would not take no for an answer, for the couple needed only to drive ten miles to have another encounter with the same man. Whoa. So they drove on, and they came across him once again, right? So they became nervous and the couple threw their liquor out of the vehicle. So they're obviously driving along having a bit of a drink as well. <laughs> I've had enough now, Jesus. We've seen Baboon Boy twice. Another ten miles later, the same man stopped them. Jeez. This time he didn't even try to ask for room for, um, for a place in their car, instead revealed his supernatural nature to them, leaving absolutely no room for uncertainty as he effortlessly morphed into a horned demonic entity. Terrified, the woman fainted and the husband desperately tried to get back to their house without being dragged to hell. 
So he, he, he basically stamped on the gas, right, floored it and fled. Yeah. Ten miles later, the devil man appeared again. Oh, man, that just fucking scared the crap out of you. <laughs> So, but this guy, so this weird guy was appearing all over America, uh, all over um, the Deep South, this guy. And yeah. same again, he'd appear, he'd do things, he'd carry on alarming, bit by bit, just fizzled out, just came to nothing. But if it's you think about him, like, he's not killing, is he? Like you say, it's always like the mischievousness of him. It's fucking yeah. weird. And that's the thing that's, that sort of seems to sort of like um, have that same feeling. I mean, in 1956, in Taipei, in Taiwan, there was a crazed slasher apparently appeared and was roaming the streets. And this was a guy, again, with men being either carrying razors, going through sort of like in crowded places, slashing people at will, just attacking people. Turns out, everything was self-inflicted. Everybody there was actually inflicted, hurting themselves. Now, 1956 is obviously post-war. What could it be about Taiwan that created the appearance of a slasher there like it has appeared in Halifax? Obviously, Halifax yeah. was wrapped with the fear of war and things like that. Well, it turns out in, like, in this era, the 1950s in Taiwan, uh, uh, the Americans were ploughing tons of money into, into, the, into the country. They were just basically taking it from being like a bit of a sort of like an eastern backwater into a place where lots and lots of manufacturing was going on. Yeah. And as such, the village life, the actual life of your average sort of Taiwanese person was completely changed forever. It was the same as the Industrial Revolution in England, mm. which is what triggered the fears about like the ghosts, the creatures, and the uh, uh, Spring-Heeled Jack. These sort of like times of so social uncertainty what happens, these panics occur. It sort of seems to trigger something in people that they have a massive panic on. <laughs> wow. But even re as recently as 2001, residents of Delhi were um, bracing themselves, as they said in this report, for another a night of sleeplessness and fear, following a series of bizarre attacks by the Indian capital's answer to a very nasty horror film. He was known as the mysterious Monkey Man. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> the monkey man who's be and this is from the Guardian is this piece right it says, so it says the monkey man who's between four and five feet tall has a monkey like face and strikes between midnight and four a.m. and has pounced on almost twenty victims during the past five days, leaving them with deep scratch marks and gouges on their arms and necks. Some say he wears a helmet; others hmm. insist he sports metal claws. Some say he has a shaggy black hide and possibly wears roller skates. Right. <laughs> a monkey man on roller skates. This is my favourite. This is easy, my favourite. This is the best, isn't it? One guy, apparently, though, during the night, witnessed this thing. He screamed, the monkey man is here. And in his panic, he fell off the top of his roof and died. <laughs> the monkey man is here. The monkey man is here. And they said they're not sure whether he's actually a monkey because Delhi Zoo authorities and, and the experts say no simian would ever attack without provocation. So they've even looked into it. They've gone to the zoo and said, would a monkey attack <laughs> yeah. like this? Right, on no roller monkey skates. would go on roller skates. Yeah. It's impossible. But they, but they said that, says, doctors say that the bites are animal bites and not of humans. Said, but then there are some people who have also said that the person uses iron claws and teeth. So here we go now. 
Youths armed with axes and sticks, meanwhile, have started patrolling the streets, and right-wing Hindu, right Hindu activists have taken up strategic positions with swords and scimitars. So, I've looked into this, like, and it just fizzled out again. Same again. All that happened was it just became nothing. People were terrified. I said the monkey man was attacking. It was leaping and getting people, right? And it just came to nothing. So basically, this, the monkey man of Delhi, was also another panic. It's all, like, quite bizarre stuff, though, isn't it? It's never a normal, um, how can I say it, you know, like, so not just someone dying, but, like, the attacks. It's always, like, weird, like, getting need with knives in your buttocks. You're getting, you know, like monkey men and gases and spring yeah. jack. It's all but very bizarre. It's nothing normal about it, is it? It's all like quite. Um, I, I, th I think it's extreme. It, that's exactly right. I think that's the thing with it. It is the extreme. It is sort of the side of things which, uh, it's. If, if they turn around and just said, you know, like I don't know, oh, there's a guy coming around now with a, with a, I don't know, with a, with a, just attacking women. He's just wandering yeah. around attacking women. I think it's. Yeah, he mugs them and stabs them, you know. Yeah. You know, he threatens them with a knife and takes their belongings. But I think perhaps maybe maybe people have said these things, but because they're they're a normal report, they yeah. might be the sort of thing that the police would get involved with and say, so actually, no, it didn't happen, it was a fake. Whereas with the weird stuff, it seems to find its own sort of, I don't know, find its niche. own sort of energy, energy and niche, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it just seems to... And because people just laugh it off and say, oh, it's not happening... It sort of seems to gather its own momentum because people yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's going on unchecked, you know. So and that's how, and I think that's when exaggeration comes in. I think sometimes I'm more likely to believe a story that's got a very quirky edge to it. So you think, why would you make that up? You know, back in here, they always think that, and it's probably a really dumb thing to think. You know what I mean? I just think that's 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 that crazy. It's probably true. You know what I mean? And it, yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> that could I be part of it. Yeah, I think you're actually probably quite right with that sort of thing. You know what I mean? I think I think it is. And I think I think perhaps people do make up certain stories all the time, mm. but there's only certain ones that catch the imagination, and maybe they just trigger enough fear. Because there's this thing of like, I mean, take a look at Freddy Krueger, right? He's got sort of like a, a glove of knives, hasn't he? Yeah. And he's this terrifying character. Even like Edward Scissorhands, again, this idea of somebody having knives for fingers. Yeah. You've got one of the most popular superheroes of all time is Wolverine, knives yeah. for fingers. And there's something perhaps that sort of attaches a lot of these things all together. Is this sort of hidden knife, this hidden blade, this sort of like secret knife? An extension of the claws, isn't it? The animalistic claws. You're even down to ladies painting the nails red. I always thought, is that Ooh. supposed to be like, you know, burying into the carcass red? You know, is it like an animalistic thing, the red nail? Maybe so. Maybe that. The claws of an animal. Or maybe by them being steel or being metallic. That's the thing. That's the thing that's sort of like it's modern technology. It's modern, you know. It's not like a natural. It, it takes us into the modern era by having yeah, metallic yeah. claws, you know. And the idea that they can perform these superhuman feats it means they can't sort of they can't be easily caught. You know, for example, yeah. police are saying, "Look, if we had a guy kicking around with claws and stuff, you know, we'd have caught him." And everyone's saying, "No, you can't catch him. The reason is because he can just leap over a wall and get away from you really quick." Yeah, yeah. But that does tap into sort of like how we. In reality, it's like like you said originally like with Spring Hill Jack. You were so excited that we're going to talk about Spring Hill Jack, you know. And it's because you like him, don't you? You know, you yeah, do, you don't it is, you don't want bizarre. him covered, yeah, yeah. And apparently, what it happened though was all the stories of Spring Hill Jack. Um, I mean, do you know what a penny dreadful is? 
Yeah, it's like a, a, a shitty old um, comic, isn't it? You know, you should get like a scandalous kind of story in a comic book. That's it. Uh, that's true. But what happened was there was loads of Penny Dreadful sort of comic books cropped up all about Springheel Jack, and they became more and more popular. And that's when Springheel Jack actually became almost like a Victorian folk hero. People were excited by Springheel Jack, and in a weird way, he took a life of his own. And this is where even those, because there's even a graphic novel by Philip Pullman that came out in 1989 called Springheel Jack. Right, and it was uh, he was saving a, a bunch of plucky orphans from the malevolent Mac the Knife. Oh. So this is up to 1989 that he was appearing in these comic books, and as a popular character, he's continually stayed as one of the most popular characters. These comic books were still kicking about into the 1900s, and of course, he was still appearing in Liverpool was was Springhill Jack in 1904. But it was still proving popular way past then, into the 1930s and 1940s and even 1950s, Springheel Jack would still be appearing in comic books and stuff. And bit by bit, his look was taken on by another anti-hero who turned into a hero, and he became Batman. Oh my God, wow. It was who a direct link, like inspiration. The inspiration for Batman was Springheel Jack. Oh, you're joking. No. Oh, that is so super cool. If you think he lurks in the shadows, he can leap over walls and stuff like this. He can yeah, yeah. The cape. Oh, the cape! <laughs> <laughs> and it's all these little, sort of like almost like little gadgets, little things. That is was the one in, the main inspiration for Batman, was Spring-Heel Jack. Oh, God, that's it. It's amazing, isn't it? But that's how he sort of like, Spring-Heel Jack sort of affected modern culture and it's like I say there's the new Batman movie coming out or he's out at the moment I'm not too sure whether it's out or not yet you know but he also completely affected a different culture at the time as well the late Victorian era because as we quite well know who else was called Jack of that time mm, Jack the Ripper and that's because the first letter sent to the Metropolitan Police right from the Ripper himself was signed Springheel Jack, the Whitechapel murderer. You fucking what? Are you joking? The very first letter they got from Jack the Ripper was signed Springheel Jack the Ripper. Oh my god, I'm well into Ripper as well. I never knew that. Yeah. That's crazy. But if you think about how he went about himself, sort of thing, there were some people at the time, there was. Um, the Maria Davis case, apparently, which was put down as a, as a, a potential. Of being sort of like one of the Ripper, victi uh, Ripper victims, yeah. He kind of roughed them up and ripped the clothes and tore at them and things like this. You know, there was almost like a frenzied attack sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they were saying there was one murder as well in the eighteen sixties, which people thought might have been the first, one of the first Jack the Ripper murders, but not too sure. It was one of Maria Davis, a prostitute from the slums of Jacob Island in Bermondsey, and she was apparently killed by being pushed over a bridge into an opus, open sewer. But they're saying it could have been like a Springheel Jack attack, that as well. They're not too sure. But it was that, that sort of puckishness, that impishness to sort of just attack yeah. and leap out and get, you know. That's it, leap and disappear. And he had a fucking cape, Arkin. And he had a cape, you see. So if you think of all the things through our cultures, from like um, um, pop fiction to Batman to sort of um, the Czech Republic, you know, the Spring Man of Prague, 
Yeah. The Springy Hill Jack's got everywhere, man. He's he's been everywhere. Wow. He's done a lot. Well, now I'm starting to lose. Done yet. I, well, I don't think he is. If you've already got the uh, Monkey Man of Delhi, that was only <laughs> 20 years ago. So there's room now. In, in, what I'm saying now is I'm putting it out there. People keep an eye out because obviously, what else have we have? We have the we have the uh, we've had the uh, Ghost of Kiev, haven't we? A strange yeah, character. Yeah. We've had the. Um, um, was it called the Butcher of Prague? I can't remember what it's called now. Oh no, the, the Reaper. Uh, the Reaper. Yeah, that's it. We've had the Reaper. So who knows? Perhaps we'll have UFOs attacking tanks. Well, Pete, exactly. So Pete keep an eye out. Fucking Putin a babatash. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. So keep keep an eye out. We might yet have room for a spring heeled Jack out in uh, Ukraine or somewhere like that. You never know, do you? Oh, maybe closer to home, kid. You never know. You never know. Keep your eyes peeled. And make oh, sure you why? don't get get fire blown in your face. Or <laughs> have, have your pants pulled down for a bit of spanker. <laughs> <laughs> bit of spanker. Spanko. <laughs> right, well, I, I think it's about time for you to have another feed out, kid. I think we need to get some more stuff sort of like post under yeah, that doorway for you. definitely. A little bit more of a beer under the doorstep, if you don't mind, Arky. Right, I'll go but crack I'll a couple of bottles. I'll tell you what, though. Well researched with that, mate. That was brilliant with that. He said, he said, I don't want to tackle it. He went everywhere. He went around the world with it, Arky. And it's fucking mental, isn't it? I've been, I've been, oh, I've been planning this one for months, and it's, it's not been as, <laughs> it's not been quite as clean as I wanted it to be, but you know what I mean? It's, we, we, no, we're, we're not we're, even we're, in the same room, so you've done well there, Skipper. You've done really well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Arky. Right, I'm going to go rest my uh, larynx now. So <laughs> yeah, I'll so what I'll do... COVID. Well, you're gonna you're gonna go for another what, another COVID test? <laughs> no COVID wank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to wank it out. I mean, you've got to do something. I think that's the best <laughs> way of doing it, right? So, on that note, I'm gonna say it's a big bye bye from Matt. No, it's a bigger bye bye from Bennett. Take care, guys. See you guys. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Coles. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Crackencove or Instagram at Crackencovepod. Ha ha!